0: what's up storytellers thank you so much to all of you who showed up to subscribe to us on itunes and wrote a review and left a rating i don't really understand how all of that works but i heard that it's supposed to help make our podcast more visible to new listeners who haven't heard of us before and i really appreciate you taking the time to help us grow our community A special thank you to our listener, Panda Bear Girl, who recently rated us five stars and wrote so inspiring and great advice for any creative. I'm a picture book designer by day and a freelancer children's illustrator by night and weekends. Every episode of this podcast is packed full of inspirational rise to success stories and amazingly relatable advice that any struggling creative can take and use in their own journey to creative success. Love this podcast so much. Oh my gosh, I love your username. It is the cutest. And I also love how you shared your experience listening to us as a picture book designer and an illustrator. That's so cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to write about it through the lens of a creative. And I am so happy to have you in our community. Now on to the next part of our intro, we have a private Facebook group. Our group is a pretty awesome place for fellow 88 Cups of Tea listeners to connect and hang out. We have storyteller-related posts where we check in with each other pretty much on the daily, and I also chat very closely with our group members to involve them with our podcast and community-related decisions that help shape the growth and direction of 88 Cups of Tea. You get the chance to request who you'd love to hear next on the show. And I actually just put up a post to reopen submissions for our listeners to comment with which guests they'd love to feature on the podcast for 2018. If these are things that jump out at you, we would love to hang out with you in our group at 88cupsofte.com slash FB group. It's so fun in there and I'm really proud to share that our group is filled with the most supportive and kind and encouraging storytellers. Join us over at 88cupsofte.com slash FB group. Now onto our guest, we have Jenny Bent with us today. Jenny founded the Bent Agency nearly 10 years ago, and the agency has now grown into having nine agents with a strong focus on international rights and has offices in New York City and London. Her agency works with each author to map the publishing career of their dreams and make it a reality. They pay careful attention to details from the terms of a first contract, to editorial work and cover design, to the publisher's marketing and publicity plan, royalties and sales figures. The Bent Agency prides themselves on nurturing and discovering authors who they can help propel to the top of their category. They've even earned a reputation where they're known for their work ethic, their responsiveness, the quality of their client list, and the results that they achieve. In Jenny's episode, we discuss the early days of her career and go into detail about the path that led her to start the Bent Agency. She walks us through her role as an agent and the pros and cons of working from home as your own boss versus working for someone else in an office setting. We touch briefly on film and TV deals and foreign rights deals and how understanding your co-agents taste and what they're seeking plays an important role. Further into the conversation, we have a very inspiring discussion about how Jenny faced moments of paralysis during the lowest points in her life and how she moved past it by gritting her way through. We get into a lot of really insightful and helpful listener questions, and you'll discover what tends to spark Jenny's interest and what she'd love to see more from submissions. We also talk about the voices that are underrepresented in the young adult community and the key changes that need to be made. Towards the end of the episode, we flesh out Jenny's thoughts about author's social media presence, and she also shares when she will be reopening to queries and what she's hoping to see more of. Now let's jump right into the conversation. Can you bring us back to your earliest memory? Did you know about literary agencies? Like, when did that come about? And did you fall in love with reading before that to lead you to looking out for literary agent jobs in the
1: beginning? I was always a voracious reader. The joke in my household was that my friends would come over and ask if I wanted to play, and I would say, No, I'm reading. Oh my God. And slam the door in their faces. What? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, I read everything I was and still do. I'm sort of a very democratic reader. I like literary. I like YA. I like commercial. I read it all. And and I always did. And then what happened was my mother, I think in high school, got me a book and I haven't been able to find it. I've looked for it. It was called something like Careers for Readers. And it was super helpful. I guess in high school, I read that book and decided that I wanted to be in publishing. That's like early on. Yes. That was a sort of a lucky break. I'm very grateful to my mother for getting me that book. And then when I went to college, I took a class called Magazine Editing and Publishing. It wasn't really about magazine editing and publishing. It sort of turned out to just be about editing and publishing in general. And a woman named Joyce Johnson, who is a writer herself, came to the class and spoke to us and she laid out for us the difference between being an editor at a publishing house and being an agent. And the way she described it, I was like, oh, I have to be an agent. There's just no question. I will not be a good editor. From then on, that was my goal. And I had a couple internships while I was in college that were very, very helpful. And then after I graduated, I got a job working for an agent in DC. And then from there, just went on to work at a couple different agencies. And then finally, in 2009, I started. my own
0: agency. Whoa, you are on the fast track and you knew exactly (laughs) what you were doing. If I were in your shoes, I'd be floundering and then finding my way, stumbling into it. That's really impressive. I think
1: it was really lucky in a lot of ways. Do you know what I mean? Like if I hadn't been given that book, if I hadn't taken that great class, things fell into place a little bit, which is great because I've actually never looked back. I've never felt like oh, this isn't the career for me. Actually, that's not totally true. That's a little bit of a lie. I think early on, just because it is so hard to become an agent, to make that transition from being an assistant to being an agent, I was a little doubtful. Since I started doing it as an agent, I've really never looked back. It's been an enormously fulfilling
0: and joy producing career. So you have a BA and an MA um, from Cambridge University. Was there a program there? So
1: what that doesn't tell you is that I spent my first two years in college at Columbia University.
0: Oh, wow. That's where I took that class. Yes. Columbia is known for journalism. They're very strong with that. Yeah. So that's where I took that class
1: at Cambridge. No, there was nothing, nothing at all like that. What were you studying? In Cambridge? Cambridge was English literature. Oh, wow. It was wonderful. It was the best educational experience of my life, but it was nothing at all practical. From there in Cambridge, were you
0: starting to seek out those internship opportunities or did that already start in Columbia? The internships were while I was at Columbia. There were no
1: kinds of similar opportunities at Cambridge. It would have been nice. I mean, there was Cambridge University Press, but no, there was nothing like that at Cambridge.
0: Oh, wow. So then you finished up school in England and then you headed back to New York City. So I graduated in
1: 92 and I actually moved back home because I didn't have a job. So I was living with my parents in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I was working as a secretary at a Actually, at a local printing press called Bonta, and I was applying for jobs in Washington, DC. And I got the job working for an agent in DC, and I lived in DC for a while until eventually moving to New
0: York. Now your job in DC, I know you mentioned there was a time working as an assistant. It was a little bit tough for you. I hear this actually quite a lot, jumping from assistant to like a full-time agent. How many years were you an assistant?
1: I moved around a little bit. I think all total, I was an assistant for about four years. Do you mind walking us through this? There's sort of no clear path to becoming an agent. It's not like, say you're working at a publishing house and there's sort of a clear path. You start as an assistant, you get promoted to assistant editor, you get promoted to associate editor, and then eventually you're an editor. When you're working for an agent, whether or not the agent will let you move from being an assistant to an agent is entirely up To that agent. And sometimes that agent may not feel that you're ready, or they may want you to focus entirely on being an assistant to them. They may not be interested in adding agents to the agency. And I think I didn't realize that when I started. I think I thought one day somebody would just say to me, Oh, congratulations, you're an agent now. And I would think the same exact thing. It doesn't work that way. That's, I think, when I got discouraged. I had actually been accepted to law school
0: and I was trying to decide, well, was I going to go to law school? Wait, while you're doing all this, you're studying for the LSATs and you got accepted. Girl, you're badass. No, that's really
1: nice of you to say. I'm
0: serious because I have had some friends who've been studying and they've been working in the law field as a paralegal. And I remember they were studying for the LSATs and they ended up not doing it. I know it's super belated, but belated congratulations to you. Seriously. That's really nice. That makes me feel good. It was a very long time ago says is something about you and your character and how driven you are and how hardworking. I bow down. Okay, but yes, you may continue. <laughs> <laughs> then what happened
1: for me was the the agent I was working for at the time was not supportive of me
0: becoming an agent. Was it because you were too amazing of an assistant that they couldn't let you go?
1: He just was never very receptive to the idea of expanding his agency in that way. I Mm. think he really thought of himself as kind of a one-man
0: shop.
1: And also, you know, he did a very, very different kind of book than I was interested in. And I don't think... He was interested in expanding his agency to do that kind of book. I think he was very protective of his brand as an agent. What happened was a a different agent in town said to me, well, you can come here I won't pay you a salary, but you can work on commission and I'll give you a desk and a computer. So that's what I did. I went over, I think I was 25 or 26, um, and I, I wasn't making a salary, so I really had to hustle. And I started representing my own projects at that
0: point. If you don't mind me unpacking this, this is reality. Money is a serious topic here in the community, especially of writers. I know you said you're hustling. So were you also juggling another job? at the same time to have some cushion and to have some savings? Or was it you hustled your ass off and you were able to make a living just from commissions? I was lucky at that point because I was married. Yes. Yes. So you had a super
1: supportive partner. Yeah. So he wasn't making very much money either. (laughs) He was an assistant on Capitol Hill. He was working for a congressman. So wow. The starting salaries there were not very high. We had just bought a small apartment, but we were living in DC and they had this amazing thing at the time where you could literally I can't believe it now, you could buy an apartment with a thousand dollars down.
0: You're joking me.
1: Buying. Yeah, we bought a one bedroom for and I can't remember how much it cost. It was a first time homebuyer's program. And if you didn't make Very much money, you could buy this apartment. So I think our parents loaned us the money and we bought the apartment. But so then we had a mortgage. So it was stressful, but it worked out. I remember I would walk down the street and I would see people drinking Starbucks and I would be so jealous. (laughs)
0: Struggle is real. They had $4 to spend on a cup of coffee. It's very true. So from there, at the time, your partner was also doing his thing and hustling. So it wasn't like you could really lean on him too much. You guys were probably leaning on each other or leaning on yourselves. So you were able to make enough to cover mortgage between the both of you also and on your behalf through the commissions for the agency.
1: Yeah. And it was fine. In in your twenties, nobody has any money and we lived in DC and it was fun. We had a really good time. It was really (laughs) fun. And there was a fun publishing community in DC and we all hung out. I look back on that time very fondly.
0: I love that. I'm kind of jealous. I'm like, dang, I kind of wish I had that in my twenties. That sounds super fun. So from there, what motivated you? What was the catalyst for you to head over and start your own agency the bent agency i think i had always wanted to because it sounded like you had a really wonderful relationship and a really wonderful time with agency right before that that's why i'm just like wondering was it maybe the team that was there that was so positive and that they were like jenny girl it is time to do your own thing you're gonna kick ass in this world just go or was it more of you know what i think i'm ready to do my own thing kind of situation
1: Well, it was a little different because at the time when I started my own agency, I had moved to New York and I had been working at a different agency that was quite corporate. And I made wonderful, wonderful friends at that agency and I'm still friends with them. And I learned a lot, but I had had a child at that point and the really sort of corporate atmosphere and rules about working from home, really weren't working for me. I really always had had the goal, I think, of owning my own business and doing my own thing. So after I had my daughter, the timing just seemed right to go out on my own. And that was 2009, actually, when the economy was really in terrible trouble. (laughs) So everyone was a little bit like, oh, you're crazy. But I always thought it would be fine. I never felt worried. I knew it was the right thing to do. And I knew it would be fine.
0: How were you able to go off and do this? You're doing this by yourself. You don't have a partner. I think turning 40 gives you a lot of confidence. I think I felt stronger at 40 than I did at any other point in my life up to then. I love that. Now this is me just making assumptions because of your experiences. When we talked about it earlier about being an assistant, also fast forward to working in an environment that was more corporate. Did those experiences then help you shape how you wanted to create your own company culture?
1: A lot of it was. I mean, I certainly didn't want to be as corporate. We have an office in New York, but the agents are free to work from home. What, what more shaped me was sort of the way I approached the business and client management, I decided early on, I didn't want to charge clients for expenses. When I worked at the other agencies, we would used to have to keep sort of a balance sheet for every client. And there's fewer expenses now than there used to be when now that everything's electronic, but it used to be, you know, if we did a submission, we had to photocopy a manuscript 10 times and either overnight it or messenger it to the publishing houses, right there, that was about like two to $300 in expenses. And the agencies that I worked for before would deduct those expenses from the client's advance. So when we would pay the client, they would get like a payout sheet that then showed the expenses that we had deducted. And I decided I didn't want to do it that way. I didn't want to nickel and dime everyone. I felt that the time and effort it took to be totaling up expenses all the time wasn't worth it. It was more sort of things like that. And then sort of also positive things at the agency that I was at, the more corporate one, one of the things I did learn was to be very stringent about contract negotiations and contract terms. So I brought that over with me. Do you know what I mean? It
0: was more things like that. So it's more of like the technical details.
1: Technical, but also sort of just my approach to agenting and my approach to dealing with clients, particularly because when I started the agency, you know, it was just me. I I didn't have any employees. I didn't have any other agents. It was just me in the bedroom of my apartment for several years before anybody came on. This is
0: so amazing. This is like a gold mine. When you're in your home working there, how... Were you reaching out to bring on clients? How are you setting yourself apart from other agents? What were you making yourself known as so that other clients would be like, oh, dang, I want to be represented by Jenny. That's a great question.
1: And I'm laughing because I don't think I really thought about that. (laughs) You know, at that point, I had been in the industry. Let's see, I was 40. I had been working in publishing since I was 22. So I already had a pretty robust client list and clients that were doing very well. And they all came with me for their new projects. I think I just thought, I'm just going to keep doing it like I've been doing it, which is just to work very, very hard for my clients and support them and believe in them and, and help them succeed as much as I possibly can. Keeping in mind that, Different authors will have different definitions of success. So, really having kind of a tailored plan.
0: An approach for each client. I know that you mentioned every client needs a different approach. And I do also understand that every agent also approaches their work differently and how their relationship is with the clients. And I hear there's some agents that are more hands off and there's more that are hands on and will hand hold. For yours, like what does the range look like? Does it go as far as, hey, I would love to read through your manuscript and help you edit it and get it to the shape before we submit? Or is it something that's not as hands-on as that? I am very editorial,
1: and that probably is true for almost everybody that I work with. There are certain clients who are in a real rhythm with their editors. I have clients who've written 50 books and I'm not editing their work. They're in relationships with their editors where they're turning in books and the editors are editing it and it it goes on like that. And my interfering in that process is not going to help anybody. For debut authors, before they have a deal, I'm working very, very closely with writers through multiple drafts. Where the approach becomes different is that success is defined differently for different people. So whereas one author might want to be a huge author on the New York Times list and make lots of money, another author, success might look different for them and success might look to them that they're writing a book every year and and that's their career that longevity is perhaps more important to them than financial success. One author might want peer recognition and awards And that's more important to them than the financial piece. So it's sort of understanding that and kind of working with them. But whatever it is, I'm very goal-oriented. So I do want to sort of understand what authors want so that I can help them work to get there.
0: I love that because it's a very customized feel. I didn't realize that authors can come to you and say, hey, Jenny, right now I'm not at a point where I need to worry about awards. I really would rather worry about income coming in. And then, then you take that and you kind of navigate that specific authors' direction in their career with that in mind, and then you can just kind of seek out opportunities?
1: Yeah, or it just sort of influences how we approach things or what kind of deals we're looking for. Or and The first and primary goal is always just to get somebody published. But then it's, what do you write next? And how often are you writing? And what publishers do you want to target? And it's nice to sort of understand what someone wants as you're helping them make their decisions about careers. I think I've maybe once said on Twitter that sometimes it's just as important to know when to say no to an opportunity Mm. as it is to say yes. Yeah,
0: that's a really good point.
1: You might get offered a a certain kind of project by a publisher and the best thing to do might actually be to turn it down sometimes.
0: That's a really good point. Now, Jenny, I would love for our community to get a glimpse into your day-to-day. Could you give us an example of a random week? What is that like for you? I work
1: from home still what's sort of fun about my job is that we're doing so many foreign rights like we're doing tons and tons of translation deals Europe wakes up a lot earlier than I do so I'll start checking email usually right when I first wake up which isn't the healthiest thing to do and I should probably change it. But at seven in the morning, there are usually multiple emails from co-agents either telling us that there's an offer or telling us they need a manuscript or asking for some information or asking for a tax form. So I usually wake up to a lot of emails that need some sort of attention. <laughs> so there's the, sort of that piece of it. And then I also try. This is sort of my ideal day. I wake up, I deal with those sorts of emails from Asia as well. Actually, we hear from our co-agents in China, usually overnight. This morning, I woke up, for instance, to an email showing us an absolutely gorgeous cover from China from my client, Stephanie Garber. So that was fun. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful cover. My ideal morning is I wake up, I sort of deal with those emails. And then if I can, I'll work for an hour or two on editorial stuff before the the workday starts around nine or 10 and, and the domestic kinds of emails start coming in. And then it's mostly just responding to things. You know, I, I keep a to-do list, so I'll be working on the items from my to-do list. And it's like, if I look at my email right now, You know, it's reviews coming in from publishers or emails about summer internship that we might be offering or, oh, and actually this morning was uh, Mondays are my payout days. So I spent a big chunk of time this morning paying authors, wiring authors money because we pay authors once a week. That was my morning. Some days are submission days. So I might be doing a big submission. I might be calling editors and telling them about a book that I'm going to send them. I finished a deal last week. So I might be sending the deal memo to my assistant to be entered into our accounting software. It's like a million different moving pieces all the time, which actually makes it really fun. Um, I usually have a call scheduled with an author to discuss some ongoing issue or problem or something that's come up. It's always a hodgepodge,
0: but it's always a lot of fun. Oh, it sounds really exciting because you just also never really know what's going to happen. I like that. It keeps you on your toes.
1: Yeah, it really does. It's really just a quick dip looking at my email. There's just so many different things going on all the time, which I like. I'm a person who gets bored easily and you will never get bored being a literary <laughs> agent. It is the least boring job in the world.
0: It's making me think a lot of things. Thank you for walking us through that and giving us a glimpse. And I know it's difficult because I realized like how it's kind of hard because you can't pinpoint exactly what each day is going to look like. So I appreciate you just giving us as many examples as possible. That was really fun. Earlier, we were talking about foreign rights deals. And also I was reading in the bio of your agency's bio that you also make film and television. deals for clients. How does that work into your world? Is that something they slowly expanded to, or is that something you started off with right away in 2009? My
1: approach to that was definitely informed by my experience at my last agency in a positive way, because I thought they did it right. We work with all different film co-agents to make movie deals. Sorry
0: for cutting through really quick to clarify. Co-agents, does that mean that... They're from a different company, but you have an agreement to work together? Correct.
1: Which is also how we do foreign rights, incidentally, is that we work with co-agents. We work with the agents in those particular territories. So, for instance, I was just talking about China. We have a wonderful, wonderful agent for China and Taiwan and Thailand, actually, and So for film, it's it's the same sort of thing. There's probably about 20 different book-to-film agents out there who work at many different agencies. And so when we have a book project, we try to find the perfect
0: co-agent for film for it. That's how I've always done it since starting the agency. When you say you're looking for the perfect one, is that you already knowing their personality and what they're looking for? Like you already have that in the back of your head so you know which one to reach out to? Or you mean you have discussions with each of them to see, hey, would this be a great fit for you?
1: It's more the first one. It's one of the reasons why this is a fun industry is because it is so relationship-based. Yeah, I was gonna
0: say, you have to know a lot of people then. You do have to know a lot of
1: people, but the the great thing About publishing is that we all love books. So we sort of have this wonderful thing that ties us together from the start. So most of the people I know in publishing are just really smart, really nice, interesting people who love writers and love books. It's in general a really
0: nice group of people. So it's fun to get to know everybody. So from there, then you already know who to pitch what to, to bring the book into a film adaptation.
1: Correct. I mean, you don't always know, you're, you're sort of guessing, but you know that well, a certain agent really, really likes literary fiction. And if you have a more literary book, you would try that person. Or, you know, this agent is sort of very smart and intellectual and likes political things. So if you had a kind of a narrative nonfiction
0: about politics, you might try that agent. It's sort of along those lines. Gotcha. That is so fascinating. So many pieces to the puzzle. When you say that you work from home, I know you have a child. Do you have one child? Or do you have more children? I only have one child. One child is amazing. How old is your child right now? So my daughter is ten. I love that age, by the way, because I used to help take care of my little sisters. Me and my sisters are ten and eleven years apart, so I remember those days fondly. They're so cute. As a mom, you do you spend as much time with your daughter, or is this something where she knows, okay, these hours to these hours, that's mom's work work time. Do not go into mom's work office. How does that work? I remember my mom would bring me to work and I would pretend to do accounting stuff at like three years old, five years (laughs) old with paperwork, right? And pretend like make (laughs) fake receipts and all of that stuff and thinking I'm actually doing a job, but I'm not. And I would also remember my mom would be at home making a lot of phone calls. And then I would try and bring her hot water to drink, make sure she's hydrated and doing whatever it was. But it was always fun for me to see my mom doing her thing and my dad and like them working together so it very much made a lot of things possible for me as well it was never like a really an issue where it's like okay if you think of an idea and doing something go for it you know because I saw my mom doing it easily so for you I do think that it is so cool that your daughter gets to see this at home and grow up with this and witness this because it makes things more doable for her and it's not like a second thought in her head where it's like oh yeah If mom can do it, I can do it. And I think that's so important to have as a role model around you growing up. How was that like working at home and having time as well with your daughter? I've said this to other people
1: I know who are thinking about starting their own businesses. You'll actually work more than you did before. When you were at a normal job with a salary and a paycheck, you will work more. But the difference is that you get to choose when you're going to work. I absolutely work more. I love every minute of I don't mind it at all. The beauty of it is that I can stop from three to five if I want to, or earlier in the day, if I want to go over and do something at my daughter's school or anything like that, that I have the flexibility that I can spend time with her and then work when she's asleep or work when she's doing activities or work when she's at school. But just I can shuffle things around. More conveniently, what might actually be hard for her because both of her parents work from home now, she may not understand that that's not how the real world works for a lot of people and that me and her father are actually super fortunate to be able to have the flexibility. That we have and that it's not something that you take for granted. It's, you know, it's something that we both actually worked really hard to be able to do, you know, that luck played a big role in that. And not every person is, is able to do that. I don't think she understands that. I don't think she understands what it's like for kids who have two parents who work full time. We're home. She gets home from school. We're both here. And I think she
0: doesn't understand that that's not normal. Gotcha. I think she'll realize that as soon as she hits high school or college, where it's her peers are going to be like, yeah, my, my mom and dad, they're not going to be back to like 10 p.m. And she's like, wait, what? But mine are here all the time. <laughs> she just sort of may
1: not understand that like that's not something that you can just get, that that's something that you Hard-armed, have to sort of... Yeah work hard to arrange. And then also a lot of it is luck
0: and good fortune
1: that you're in a position that you can work hard to arrange that.
0: I'm like trying to imagine myself where if my parents were both accessible and just being able to see them as soon as I got home, that blows my mind. I'm just like, wait, what? That's so cool. I'm also curious now that you mentioned that your husband works from home as well. I didn't realize that. I thought he was outside of the home working.
1: Well, so it's a different person. Oh, (laughs) that's why it's confusing. I got divorced. Okay. Sorry. Um, Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, No, no, it's totally fine. I got divorced. And now my new partner, um, is, is my daughter's father and, and we're both working from home.
0: That's amazing. So how is that like working and seeing the significant other all the time? Are you able to make like date nights and make it romantic? Cause me and my girlfriend, (laughs) like it's a, no, it's a real thing. Let me tell listen, I used to think, oh my gosh, fairy tales, blah, 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 but it's work, you know? So me and my girlfriend, because I'm in the entertainment field, it's a little bit more flexible with my schedule and I could also arrange my own schedule. Uh, My girlfriend, she's in the restaurant industry and the last two years she was transitioning and now she's going to open a restaurant in New York, which is why I moved back to New York with her. And oh, so, that's, neat. that's a lot of fun. I think, yeah, it is a lot of fun. And it's interesting because we spent so much time together. And I was also there by her side when she was like looking for properties and stuff like that when she was trying to open up in California, her other restaurant. Then this opportunity came up in New York. I'm so proud of her, where it's like, Okay, she has her own thing. She gets to go to her own shop, and I'm thrilled for her and so excited for her because I know it's a you know dream coming true, but at the same time, it's also like, okay, we had so much time together, like the last two years when she was going through her transition between restaurants, you know it's going from that spending time every single day to now knowing it's gonna be like me barely seeing her because she'll be at work for like sixteen hours a day, and I realized even though we were home together like every day we realized oh my gosh you do still need to set aside that time like date night to let them know that you appreciate each other in that way because I think we started to get a little bit comfortable where it's like Oh, it feels almost like a business best friend kind of thing. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like, I didn't realize that was going to be a thing because I saw my mom and dad, you know, they had their own business and like there were arguments growing up and it was only about the business. So that kind of scared me where I'm like teeter tottering between the lines of, is it good to always see your significant other all the time? Uh, maybe it is, but you just have to separate time and like making it known like, okay, this time is to let you know, I appreciate you. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, we will not talk to each other a lot during the day.
0: Oh, you don't. Okay. No. Okay. Because I was talking to with my girlfriend like every second. Yeah. He's doing his job. I'm doing my job. If we're
1: lucky, there might be time for us to go take a walk, you oh, know, see. together, or we'll sit down and, and eat together. Although usually he's running around doing things or I'm on the phone, you know what I mean? So we yeah. don't actually interact that much. <laughs> It, it really works just fine. But you know, every, obviously all you, like you said, like relationships take work and yeah. we have definitely spent a lot of time putting work into our relationship. And you know, we're both, we're old. Like we're are <laughs> you not old. Oh my God, he's, please. He's 49 and I'm 50. And I think, Listen, a that's the new 20s. OK,
0: I don't know if you heard. All right. <laughs> I think at a
1: certain point, you just become really grateful that you're able to be together and yeah. the drama kind of falls
0: out of it after. That's true. You know. all the little things. We have many moms who are writers in our community. And this is backtracking to you being a mom and doing work from home. A lot of the moms in our community either have a full-time job or they work from home or they write from home, but they always feel this guilt of when they try their home, they're there as much as possible for their children, but there are moments when the children are still like, no, I need more access to mom, but then mom ends up not being able to have any time for her writing anymore. And I think there's a guilt where they don't want to say no, or don't want to create boundaries when it comes to time and saying like, okay, this time is mom's time to do work. Do you have any thoughts on that, that you can share and pass on to our community? Man, I think that's a question for a much
1: smarter person than me. I don't, I don't think the guilt ever goes away. Right, I, I, I always feel guilty. Um, I actually feel sort of reassured
0: to hear that everybody else does. No, it's true. It is so true.
1: (laughs) No, I think I wake up in the morning feeling guilty and I go to sleep feeling guilty every night. I think one of the things when you have a kid is that they always want to spend time with you and there are going to be times when you have to say no.
0: I know. And it's hard because you want to spend all that time as well with them, you know, as much as possible, especially when they're growing up so fast. My gosh.
1: (sighs) Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's a tough one. And I wish I had a better answer for it, except that I think
0: we're all in it together, you know, that we're all trying. I think that's, best. that's also reassuring enough as well for them. You know, how you said it was reassuring for you to know others were going through the same thing. I think them hearing you going through this as well is also such, it just shows such a universal situation where they don't feel as alone. So that already is a huge help in itself. You are even acknowledging that. So thank you, Jenny. I would love to, uh, before we wrap up, this has been so much fun. I'm oh, like, oh I've my God. I've
1: had such a blast. You're the best interviewer. No, I've had Jenny, so you're so sweet.
0: You are truly, thank you so much. And is there a moment that you can share where you felt, like you were at your lowest point. And when you were at that lowest point, how, from what you remember, were you able to get yourself through it? Or if you were lucky enough to be surrounded by people to help push you through it, could you walk us through that moment if you're comfortable?
1: No, I mean, you know, there's, I'm sure there's been a lot of them Uh, Probably, what was the lowest? (laughs) It's hard (laughs) to just pick one. Um, I think particularly in my 20s and 30s, I had a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety. Um, And so there were times when I felt very, very low. There was a period where when I was an assistant, and before I took that job working for the other agent where I was just working on commission, there was a period of time where I was really struggling with that whole issue that we talked about where that I realized, okay, somebody's just not going to hand me a job Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as an agent. And I ended up moving back home. And I was probably 24. And I was working part time in a bookstore which was actually really fun and part time as a secretary and trying to figure out what my next steps would be um trying to figure out would I go to law school would I go back to publishing would I would I make it happen and and I think I really felt like a failure I really felt like here I was you know two years out of college living at home I was very lonely you know most of my friends weren't living in the area. I think I even ran into somebody who sort of said, like, what are you doing living? in What? <laughs> like, I think, I like at Walmart or something, I ran into somebody like a, a, a grown up person that I knew who sort of said something that made me feel horrible. What the hell? And I, I think that was maybe the lowest point. And I think I felt at the time, a paralyzed because I felt like whatever decision I made about the rest of my life was going to set me down some track that I wouldn't be able to get off of. Mm -hmm. And I was so scared to make that decision that it kind of, I, I I just, I couldn't make it. I think that lasted about six months. And I think that was the hardest time.
0: So when was that moment where you were able to break out of that? You know, it's so funny. I actually don't remember. (laughs) I'm trying to think (laughs) like, what what matters (laughs) is that you broke out of it. That's all that matters. I think I got a job in New
1: York. It's all so fuzzy now. I think I just ended up getting a job in New York. And then I was up in New York for a while. And then I went back to DC and worked for the first agent. It was just all sort of back and forth. I don't think there was some moment where I got out of it. I think it was more that I just sort of gritted my teeth and got through
0: it. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Sure. You hear from so many people in their 20s that are struggling with depression and
0: anxiety. Yes. And I, you know, I get it. I, I, I think that is so reassuring for me to hear personally, because I feel like I go through some of those feelings as well. And I'm like thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm 30. And you just think, am I the only one? Am I the only one at this age still going through those feelings? So thank you for that. It just made me feel better. Uh, 40s. I'm telling you the 40s are where it's at. <laughs> I cannot wait. Let me tell you. I'm like, get, like, just drag me through these next 10 years, please. Oh my gosh. I'm I'm excited for the 40s. Yes, Not be even joking. Excited.
1: It really, it gets better. It really does. 20s and
0: 30s were very hard. They oh. really were. Truly 40s and 50s are now the new 20s. Like the exciting times, you know, 20s and 30s are like, huh. Oh. But seriously, um, Jenny, you're amazing. I just want to also let you know that there have been a lot of people in our community who seem to adore you and oh. they jumped in with a lot of listener questions. The first one from Megan LaCroix, she said, this is so exciting for exclamation marks. I'd love to know what themes or elements tend to spark your interest. And if there's anything you'd love to see or like to see more of in your inbox. I mean, I
1: like anything. It's It's hard to know. Um. I tend to like things that are very voicey. I tend to like things that are unusual in some way. I like books about food
0: because oh, I love yum. food. Girl, I like- you're gonna have to stop by my girl's restaurant. You're gonna <laughs> well, love her I food. So- oh my god, I would love to. It's Malaysian food. I highly. I'm. <gasps> I'm wondering if you even tried Malaysian food before, ever in your life. I went to Malaysia. <gasps> Oh my God. You just shut me up real quick. What? Cause my mom's side is great. Malaysian. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Wait, Wait what? did you, did you read my author's book? Did you read The Ghost Bride by Yang Chu? I did not, but no, <gasps> I saw. Okay, yeah, I saw that author on your when I was like doing research and making sure I just you know read up on you before talking. I noticed it that she was, was in your the client title list.
1: That book was Tales of a Malaysian Ghost Bride. Are you serious? Yeah. What? Wait, was that why you were in Malaysia? Were you accompanying no, the author? No, no, no. I went there because I I got invited to a conference in Singapore, and we also <gasps> went to Malaysia. Oh my god! I get, bet. Fun. Oh my! I bet you loved Singapore.
0: Singapore. Singapore was amazing. Singapore is like LA. D- Singapore <laughs> is so clean. It's ridiculous. My grandma's from Singapore. Wait, so where, which part of Malaysia was it? KL? Was it Kuala Lumpur? Or was it like Penang? Cause my mom's side is from Penang. We went, oh gosh, it's, you're going to embarrass me because <laughs> I, get so, I can't even do like US
1: geography. <laughs> me neither. We flew from Singapore. Uh-huh. I'll have to look up my itinerary. I bet you it's Kuala
0: Lumpur. It's like the main hub.
1: But we didn't. We went to like a resort. Oh, I wonder if it's Langkawi. I have to look it up it was amazing okay
0: look it up email me i'm curious i want to know like my whole family literally they vacation in malaysia like once or twice a year and they're leaving in a few weeks i'm like i finally moved back to new york and y'all are up and leaving me for three months hanging out with grandpa in malaysia
1: well you'll have to you have to read the ghost bread because it's set in 1890s
0: colonial malaysia that is okay i'm gonna have to read that because i'm also working on something on (gasps) behalf of my grandma to honor her story because she passed away i never got a chance to meet her she was um she ended up leaving because of family abuse, and she went to a temple, and we weren't allowed to see her because uh, in Buddhism, when you want to reach enlightenment, you're not supposed to be attached to anyone or anything, so oh. we were forbidden from seeing grandma. So oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. And then so her story, she she was in Singapore and in Malaysia all throughout before Singapore was even Singapore. It was still Malaysia. So for me, like I needed to do some research on back in the day. So I'm like, my gosh, your your client story sounds so interesting. I need to read up on that probably for research as well. So oh, there we go. Yeah. Thank you for referring her work to me. I'm excited. <sighs> and also there should be more work out there. I feel like there's not enough work out there even talking about Malaysians because we're specifically Chinese born in Malaysia. So this is very interesting to hear. Well, that
1: is her heritage. So, that is my author's heritage. Oh,
0: so, girl, you need to come to my girlfriend's restaurant because she, okay, my girlfriend's Taiwanese, but after she went to visit my grandpa in Malaysia, she fell in love with the Malaysian food. And there was an opportunity where she could partner with this awesome Malaysian chef. And that Malaysian chef is also of Chinese heritage called Baba Nanya. They're now partnering and they're opening in Lower East Side specifically baba nanya chinese malaysian very specific chinese malaysian food in the lower east side in new york city it's so freaking good i'm I'm telling you jenny you don't understand my mom and my aunts tried it they're like this is better than what we could find in our hometown in malaysia and they found out guess what that chef lady her parents had restaurants my mom and my aunts coincidentally grew up going to her parents restaurant oh after karate class what the hell in Malaysia I'm I like this it. is not fate I don't know what is. like I don't understand <laughs> like I'm like what the hell is this this is amazing so okay you're gonna come to you're gonna come to the lower I'm east totally side coming. and you let me know and I want to introduce you to like the, sh- the foods that I love I'm sure you already had it and I'm sure you loved it but there's some I dishes I there would lo- I would welcome oh, a, a, okay a you're twirl. gonna hit me up okay hit me up I'm All right, hitting you up
1: this is so exciting this is, really is. is so
0: exciting thank you oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm. I have chills. Like I didn't know that you went to Malaysia. In here, I assumed that you didn't. Even know. Oh my God, I'm so. I'm so blown away, and I'm so impressed right now. Well, like, Jenny just got like so many super cool brownie
1: points. Well, um, I, I, this this whole thing that we uh, anyway, we're so off track, but I can't. Okay. This is so exciting. I know, I just, I'm so excited. I excited. You and no you know, idea. Yangsa also is like obsessed with food, and that's one of the things that I loved in her book. Um, oh, she had food in her book descriptions too.
0: Descriptions of food, girl. I'm gonna have to read this. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you just sold that book to me. I'm done. I'm getting it. I don't care. I'm getting it on Amazon later. I'm not like after we hang up, we're gonna. I'm gonna book it on Amazon. No joke. Well, not be sorry. It's such a good book. I'm so excited. Okay, um, I'm definitely but gonna check is, it out. But
1: that actually just bring me back. I love
0: ghosts. I like anything like
1: ghosts. I love anything with food. I like things with sisters. I like things with twins. I like things with islands. Um, uh, I like rich people doing terrible things to each other. <laughs> I like anything that I like anything that's sort of like supernatural, but not like genre supernatural. Do you know gotcha. what I mean? So, yes. it's sort of general fiction, but it'll have a ghost or it'll have something. Mysterious happening, or um, and anything that sort of takes me to a new world. So anything that teaches me something about a world I knew nothing about,
0: I love that. I think that's super helpful for Megan. Thank you so much. Next one is Melissa C. She says she's so excited, and she would love to know what voices do you feel are most underrepresented in the young adult community, and how would you like to see it change? That was a good question.
1: That's a great question. I don't feel like I can speak to what voices are i I think basically, anybody who is not white and heterosexual has been underrepresented, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I, there's so many different viewpoints that are underrepresented, yes, right now. I, I don't even I'm not sure where I could start listing them, yes, but you know, obviously, it's an issue, and people are very focused on mm-hmm. changing that,
0: yes. But what was the second part? Second part was, how would you like to see it change? I would like to see it change
1: institutionally, Mm. meaning we need more representation at agencies and at publishing houses. Oh, yes. You know, people like me, we get it wrong. You know, we want to listen and we want to learn, but we're going to get things wrong and we're not going to understand and we need more representation cover designers, marketing people, publicists, editors, publishers, agents, you know, across the board, I think Mm. that's the key place where it needs to start to change.
0: Thank you for that, Jenny. Next, we have Audrey Woods. She says this sounds so awesome and she would love to know what you think the trends are right now, particularly in YA and SFF. Science fiction,
1: fantasy, I can't really address because I don't wrap it. Okay, And YA. Why? I also can't really address because I don't pay any attention to trends.
0: Okay, that's a good thing.
1: (laughs) I'm trying to think what a trend would be. I mean, fantasy has really been going strong for a while now. And I I think we've been hearing maybe that people would like just contemporaries now. Mm. But besides that, I honestly don't really know. I just I try not to pay attention and I just take on books that I love and writers I love.
0: I love that. I think that's so clever. Okay, that, that answered Audrey's question perfectly. So for the next one, we have Katerina Hybanova Koses. She says she's so excited for you to be on the show and she's been following your agency and you seem super cool and your whole agency seems super cool. And her question concerns the age definition of YA. She knows there's been some talk about including books with older protagonists into YA such as college students. This was previously new adult. She's wondering, uh, could you talk a little bit about this or just shine any light? I
1: think YA is traditionally 14
0: to 18. 18. I see.
1: And I, New Adult, I, I've always sort of been confused by New Adult. I think it became something very specific, which was sort of, I don't even, I'm not even sure if I should address this because I feel like I'm going to get it wrong. New Adult seemed like it was a category f- for a while, and then it seemed like publishers weren't really. Receptive to having that as a category, basically because there was no sort of dedicated space for it in bookstores. Mm -hmm. So it it seemed like a category that was working best in digital because in digital, you don't have those constraints. Like, where is it going to go? Is it going to go in the adult? The bookstores were set up that you had a children's section, a young adult section, and an adult section. And they didn't seem to really be set up for a new adult. I think when you have a college student character, it sort of depends on the way you treat the book. A college student character can be an adult book or it can be a young adult book. And it it just sort of depends on the way the book is written. And it's just sort of complicated. Um, There are many adult books that have college student protagonists. I think I'm trying to think of some YA ones that do. I think there are some but in general sometimes it's hard because when you have a college student character I'll send to adult publishers and they'll say well isn't this YA and then mm. you'll send it to YA publishers and they'll say no 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 this is not YA oh <laughs> so wow so so tricky
0: it, it's a little
1: arbitrary and and I think that's why I'm sort of struggling to to answer the question it's it's not it's not the agent's call in a way it's sort of the the editors and publishers call and I mean there was a book prep that was a while ago but it was actually a book set in high school and it was published as an adult novel. And I never understood why I always thought, well, no, this is really a young adult novel. It felt to me like a young adult novel, but that decision was made by By the the publishers. publishers. Okay. Gotcha.
0: Okay. I think that pretty much answers it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I feel like I did a bad
1: job on that one. Jenny, do not
0: apologize. Thank you so much for even (laughs) unpacking it. It really was helpful. Jodi Armsby-Galegos, the next question. She says, this is so exciting to have you on the show. She'd love to know the qualities you look for in an author you're considering. And then she also asked, how much is taken into account as far as social media presence? The content and tone of blogs or social media posts and the tone of communications with your agency when deciding if a writer will be a good fit for you. Oh, that's an interesting question. Wait, what was the... Yeah, it's basically she's asking when it comes to you guys looking out for authors to take on as new clients, does it matter about the writer's uh, social media presence? Do you guys take into account, like, uh, whoa, they have a massive following. Like, this writer seems to have their own following of, like, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out a number, like, a hundred thousand. Um, and also, or they're, they have maybe the, the, uh, this new writer has their own, um, blog. Um, and is, does it matter about the tone of their blog when it comes to bringing on that author? I, I wonder if Jody means this because I noticed that, yes, there's a lot of writers who are encouraged about being on social media and speaking your mind and all that stuff. So if that has anything to do with affecting your decisions on bringing on an author? I hope I clarified that.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think I I can't speak for the whole agency because everybody at my agency does things differently. And and they're sort of like their own little businesses within my business. But for me, I I think I sometimes forget to look at somebody's social media. Um, (laughs) You know, I get so sort of focused on the book. Mm. One thing that I think has been nice, I have uh, two clients, I think, in particular, who come to mind, my author, Roselle Lim. Oh, my gosh, she has a question for you later, by the way. Oh, she does. She's so funny. And also my other Stephanie Garber, like when we announced on Twitter that we would be working together, I saw for them such a lovely outpouring of support. And that really said to me, these are two people who have spent a lot of time being generous to other people. So that people were then very happy for them about their achievements and their success. So uh, that to me, I think is really nice when you see that. I mean, there's different ways of being generous and involved and it's not always going to be on social media. So I'm not saying, you know, that's necessary or Mm -hmm. I'm upset when that doesn't happen. But it was nice for me to see that playing out on social media that here are two writers who have really done a lot for other people. And now people are happy for them.
0: Oh, I love that, Jenny. You're so sweet. Oh. Thank you for sharing that. Those are great examples. Very positive, And it's very inspiring for other writers too. Because I know there's a lot of people in our community who are so generous and help each other a lot. Not everyone gets thanks, right? Or appreciation. That's why my my mom always says like, I do all this and I never get any appreciation. But, you know, it's nice when people do notice. So that's cool that you've noticed that. Okay, so the next question we have is Christine Cohen. She's oh, she says, oh, this is great. I don't have a question, but I'm represented by Heather at the BENT agency and I just adore her and all of them. It's a fantastic agency and I can't wait to listen to the interview. So I thought that was super sweet to pass on. That's nice. That's super sweet. And we have Gigi Griffiths next who says, wow, amazing. I'd love to know when Jenny's reopening to queries. And is there anything she's particularly excited to see more of when she does reopen?
1: Yeah, I'm hoping to open up in the next couple months. I'm nearing the end of sort of a big editorial backlog that happened over Christmas. Oh, wow because everybody, all like a bunch of clients all delivered their manuscripts to me at the same time. And it created a bit of a oh
0: no, traffic jam. Yeah. I feel really bad about it actually.
1: Um, oh but no. I'm, I'm working. So I, I've decided at that point, I really needed to stay close to queries until I can get caught up. And you know, I don't want to keep people waiting any more than I already have, but I'm thinking in the next couple of months and I just want to see like cool stuff, you know, I yeah. just want to see cool Different. different, Yep. There we go. Different. Interesting. You know, I don't know, just, I, I know that's so unhelpful, but, um, you know, adult, adult fiction and, and young adult fiction and occasionally middle grade, but just something that I haven't seen before always makes me feel really excited.
0: That was super helpful. All right. Second to last question. We have Sarah Harvey. What's the best, most surprising thing about running an agency that you did not expect? Oh, I like that question. Oh, that's a great question.
1: Best, most surprising thing about running an agency that I did not expect. I had been an agent for so long that there wasn't much that could surprise me about it, you know, it's just been great. It's been really rewarding and great. I just realized, you know what surprised me? I didn't realize how much international success we would have. That has been a really lovely surprise. And it's been amazing to get to meet all these people from all over the world, um, yes. and really sort of make connections with them and, and enjoy working with them and have them be as receptive as they have been to, you know, like books, like the hate you give, right. That's been, you know, everybody knows domestically how successful that's been, but internationally it was huge. And That was really exciting to see the reception around the world. Um, So that that has been sort of just something I didn't anticipate because I wasn't as involved in foreign rights before I started the agency. That was just great to watch. Oh, that's so
0: amazing. Um, So now, Jenny, last and final question from Roselle Lim. (laughs) Hi, Rosie. (laughs) (laughs) She says she absolutely adores you with three exclamation marks. She's like, she's my agent, two exclamation marks. And she said, my question... What are your go-to editing snacks? Oh my
1: god, she's the best. I adore her, and we talk about food all the time. And she tells me like really fun food movies to watch, and I love her. Uh, my Mike, you know it's terrible. Uh, th- what I really love, and it's so disgusting. Tell and me, back- it's cheese doodles. No, uh, well, I love those too. Actually, no, I I love potato chips and <laughs> me like too. French onion dip, which is
0: so cool. That sounds heavenly to me it's, Oh my it's god. So disgusting but I eat it all the time. That sounds so freaking good. Do you know I just bought a whole huge massive bag of potato chips salted with sea salt from Trader Joe's and I finished nearly the entire freaking bag in 30 <laughs> minutes just talking and catching up with my family and but dipping it in guacamole. Like if I didn't have sour cream, like you know I just go to guacamole but I, I actually should not have sour cream because I'm lactose intolerant but you know sometimes it's worth it? I love that answer. Jenny, you have been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. You're so kind. Thank you so much for having me. I really, I feel like it was like therapy for me. Like
1: you were so lovely and
0: supportive and and nice. And thank you. You You're so sweet. (laughs) And that wraps up our episode with Jenny Bent. Jenny, oh my gosh, I seriously loved our conversation and really enjoyed our time together. You are so freaking awesome and thank you again for your time. Storytellers, thank you so much for hanging out and listening in. As always, please say hi to Jenny over on Twitter at Jenny Bent. For her show notes page, head over to 88cupsofte.com slash podcast slash Jenny dash Bent. If you enjoyed today's episode, or if it helped you in any way, I would love to ask for your support in taking a moment to subscribe to 88 Cups of Tea on iTunes, and please leave a rating and a review. Producing a podcast takes a lot of time, and we put a lot of heart and soul into making 88 Cups of Tea the best that it can be. When you take those specific actions of subscribing, leaving a rating, and a review, that really helps our show become more visible to new listeners who haven't heard of us before, and we're really trying to get the word out about our podcast. Thank you so much for helping us grow our community. And if you haven't yet, don't forget to join our private Facebook group if you want to hang out with fellow storytellers and listeners from 88 Cups of Tea. I'm so excited to see you in there. You can find us at 88cupsofte.com slash FB group. Have a wonderful and super productive rest of your week and I'll catch you next Thursday. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.